The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'll judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's an interesting statement, but it's a true one. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which we have the privilege today of reading and studying. We ask, Lord, that you would give us a, a deep and, 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 Lord, a thoughtful uh, love for your word, that we would uh, meditate upon it, that we would desire it in our lives. Thank you, Father, for all these things now. Bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul made a very interesting statement there. He said that the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. They won't tolerate it, is what he's saying. And certainly today we live in, in that time. Today men would rather hear a lie than the truth when it comes to the word of God. They would rather sit under a teacher who will who will say what they want them to say, rather than a teacher who will say what God says. And, and this, is the, this is the plight of our, of our nation today, as we sit here. Um, and, and it's sad, but thankfully it doesn't have to be that way, does it? We just need to be astute students of the Word of God and make sure that we are following good doctrine. Now, we've, thus far in our study of the benefits of doctrine, we've seen that good doctrine matures the believer. It grows us up, feeds us, and nourishes us, and makes us stronger. Uh, good doctrine, number two, ministers to the believer, uh, gives us hope, gives us courage, gives us strength. Um, good doctrine, number three, magnifies God in the life of the believer. Uh, one thing about true Bible doctrine, it always points to God. It never points to me, it never points to you, it never points to our abilities or our accomplishments. Or It's not self-centered, it's God-centered. And good doctrine always magnifies God in, in a believer's life. Last time we looked at the fact that good doctrine equips the believer and provides us, our doctrine gives us all the tools we need to be uh, good stewards of God's grace and to, to minister to, to, the, uh, to the lost in this world. So those are the things we've seen so far concerning the benefits of doctrine. Now this morning, I'd like us to go on and look at number five, and that is this. Good doctrine educates the believer. Good doctrine, number five, educates the believer. We were in 2 Timothy just a moment ago, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look there with me. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let's look at verse number 14. We read here, But continue thou in the things 
which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, Paul writes, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, education is a gradual process of acquiring knowledge by instruction, observation, assimilation, and performance. Um, We all went to school. Some of you are still going to school. Some of us wish we were back in school. But we've all gone to school, and, and education is a process. You don't go to school on your first day and go home that afternoon graduated and having amassed all knowledge possible. It's a very gradual process. I thought that process ended in the 12th grade. I was wrong. I'm 59 years old today, and I'm still learning every day. Education is a, is a lifelong process. Um, from the definition I gave, we can see that a lot goes into one's education. Again, it is not a one-step process, and it is not a rapid process either. Now, you see, on a spiritual sense, too many people make the mistake of assuming that they can turn everything in their life around on a dime once they get saved. And this is a foolish thought. I've, I've seen people over the years who, who get saved, and within, within 30 days they're so discouraged because their life still isn't what it ought to be that they give up and they quit. And we need to understand and realize that this process of spiritual growth takes place throughout our entire life. Now, of course, the younger you get saved, if you remain faithful to to Bible study through all those years, uh, certainly the, the stronger you can grow as a Christian, the more mature you can grow as a Christian. If you have an entire life to live for the Lord as opposed to just a short period of time. But regardless of At what age we come to know the Lord as Savior, it's a process, and it's a slow process, and it's a process, by the way, of failures as well as successes. Um, Those those of you who know me know I I taught in our school for almost 17 years. And I had a parent come into my office one day, and he sat there, and he wanted to discuss with me the fact that his, his daughter had not done so well on a test. And he said, you know, could you maybe rescore it? Could you regrade it? Could you look at it again? And I told him, I said, no. Why would I do that? He said, well, I just don't like to see her fail. And I told him this. I said, you know, you should teach your daughter how to, how to handle failure. You really should. Because she is going to fail in life more than she succeeds. And that's, that's something you can't be afraid of. We can't be afraid to make mistakes. Now, we shouldn't make mistakes in the spiritual sense maliciously and intentionally. But do you understand you're going to fall? You're going to fail. You're not going to pass every test that God gives you. 
And so you have to learn how to get up, learn from what you've done wrong, and go forward and, and strive to do better at every turn. But people make the mistake of thinking they can turn things around right away. They come into our church and look at the older, more stable believers and suppose that they can immediately walk on the same paths. But let me remind you, we each have our own path to walk. We each have our own race to run. I've reminded people, I've mentored a lot of people in the 34 years I've been in the ministry, and I remind them, a lot of them, listen, you're not called to walk my, my path, okay? Our path, God may bring our paths together for a short period of time, but they will separate I was talking with Jose just recently, and I, I told him that. I said, you know, God brought our paths together, Jose, for, what was it, three or four years maybe? Now he's gone, and I'm here. I wish he was back, but he's not. But during the time we walked together, I learned from him, he learned from me, and now we go on, and we have the, the, we have the privilege of having learned from one another, but we must go on our own, on our own paths. So, if you're a younger Christian in this room and you look, at, you look at someone like Brother Gary and you say, well, man, I'm just not there. Well, no, and, and you shouldn't be there because that's his path. You've got your own path. We have our own race to run and we must, we must allow God to instruct us and guide us and show us where we are to walk. Learn from Brother Gary, and we're going to talk about this today. Learn from him, uh, but, but you can't become him. So we, we understand that, that, that it's a process. It's, it's, a, it's a long process. Now, I want to I take the time I have this morning and I want to examine this process step by step. And hopefully, um, now I'm not preaching this morning. If I get to preaching, raise your hand so I can get back on the teaching. Uh, and you, do you realize there is a difference between teaching and preaching? Uh, I hope you understand that. I know a lot of preachers in this country have no idea what the difference is. Because you go to a Sunday school class and you get preached at. And, and uh, so preaching is something that it's preaching. If I'm preaching, I'm I'm trying to provoke you to action. I'm trying to provoke you to make a change in in your attitude or your or, or an adjustment to your life. But when I'm teaching, I'm simply trying to impart understanding. I'm not trying to convict you about anything. I'm just trying to I'm trying to give you information from God's word. So that you can you can learn. So if I get to preaching today, wave your hand at me and we'll get back on teaching. But step number one is this. We must be taught the word of God. We must be taught the word of God. In first Peter chapter two, Peter writes, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and in evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Growth cannot take place without nourishment. Now, I have always, my entire life, been a big fan of mealtime. I am a really big fan of mealtime. Uh, I might miss a lot of things, but I rarely ever miss a meal. Um, I love to eat. And uh, as a child, my grandmother, my daddy's father, I, I mean, my daddy's mother, she loved me because I loved to eat and she loved to cook. So we were a match made in heaven. And um, 
She always used to tell my daddy, oh, baby, she said, I love when y'all come over here because Dalton loves to eat my food. And I did. She was a, she was a great cook. But as in our spiritual life, the only source of nourishment that will produce growth is the word of God. The word of God is, is called our milk. It's, 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 it's our meat. It's our sustenance. We need nothing more than the word of God. I mean, of course, we do need nourishment and food, but, but the scriptures say that the word of God is, is, is more necessary than my food. And, and it's important that we feed upon the word of God. Now, under this, this thought of being taught the word of God, let me, let me give you some, some thoughts. Uh, first, let me say true Bible teaching does not center on personal opinions. It's very important to understand. If I come up here today and if I stand here and just give you a bunch of my opinions, have I taught you the word of God? No, I've taught you my opinions. Do you, do my, are my opinions profitable to your spiritual life? Maybe. But they're not the most profitable, right? Especially if they're not the right opinions. And the thing is, if I'm teaching you my opinions, then you have no idea whether I'm teaching you the truth or not. But if I'm teaching you the word of God, you have assurance in knowing that you're receiving spiritual food. And that it is food that will help you to grow and and grow strong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Again, he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So it is important that we be taught the word of God and that that teaching centers upon the truth of God and not upon my personal opinions. We have a member of this church, he's not here right now, but he told me one time that he was in another church. He said his pastor one Sunday announced, next Sunday when you come, leave your Bibles home and bring the local newspaper with you. And he was serious. That's that's exactly what this preacher did. Now, what profit is there in, in you and I going to to a Sunday school class, if the only thing we're going to be taught is what the press Democrat says. There's no profit to that at all. I may as well stay home and watch Seattle lose to, uh, to, to Carolina, right? So it's, it's of no importance unless it centers upon the truth of God. Math is a language of science. I taught math for many years. How many of you studied math under me? Come on, raise your hands, don't be shy. Some of you did. I always used to tell you the same thing. Math is the easiest subject in the world. Why? One of you girls tell me. You say they didn't pay a word of attention. Math is, I used to tell my students, math is the easiest subject because the rules never change. 
They're always, English, oh man, English is hard, isn't it? One word can be, it can be a verb, it can be a noun, it can be an adverb, it can be an adjective, it can be this, it can be that, it can be used this way, it can be used that way. I hated English. <laughs> math I loved because it's always the same. The rules in math never change. It's, it's a language of science. It's, its rules never change. It is constant. It's not subject to circumstances. Computing the area of a triangle is the same, no matter the size or shape of the triangle. The formulas to compute time and distance are always the same. In every instance, it never changes. And so it is with the Word of God. The Bible teaching is derived from the unchanging truth of the Word of God. It never changes. It always centers upon Christ. It always seeks to glorify the Lord in all things. Now certainly when I or another man teaches, we may express our opinions. However, Scripture must support those opinions. An opinion that cannot be supported by Scripture is not worth the hearing. If I express an opinion to you, I'm going to, I'm going to back it up. With, I'm going to follow with a word of Scripture. I'm going, to, I'm going to use Scripture in context to support my opinion. And that's the way it needs to be. My opinion is worthless unless that opinion is derived from a proper interpretation of Scripture. But even then... If I derive my opinion from, from the proper translation of, translation of the word God, is it really my opinion? No. What is it? It's the word of God. <laughs> it's true. So, even if a preacher expresses an opinion that is supported by a scripture, it's not his opinion, it's God's opinion. And thus, we can, we can count and depend upon it. So, true Bible teaching centers on the word of God, not my opinion. Then, Next, true Bible teaching does not serve personal agendas. True Bible teaching does not serve personal agendas. In 2 Peter chapter 1, again, Peter writes, We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and as the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of, is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, in essence, to simplify what this is saying is that you can't, you can't take one scripture out of the Bible without considering every other scripture in the Bible. So you can't, just, you can't just find a scripture and make it say what you want to say. I, I remember years ago, long time ago, almost 30 years ago probably, uh, um, one of the men in, in our church, Brother Lee, came up to me and his company was considering moving him. And he, he was reading his Bible and, and he read a verse that said, uh, where, where the psalmist wrote, I shall not be moved. And he read that verse and he came to me all excited. He said, Brother I'm not going to have to move. I said, Leo, that's great. I said, how do you know that? He said, because the Bible told me I'm not going to have to move. I said, what? And he showed me that scripture all excited. I said, Leo, that's not what that means. That verse is not saying you're not, God's not going to move you someplace else. 
And, and I had to explain to him that we can't just take a, a Bible verse that says what we want it to say and make it say what we want it to say. It needs, we need to consider every other scripture in the Bible to determine the proper translation of this one scripture. And that's why interpreting scripture is so, so important. And we can only do this through proper study and through proper teaching. So we have to be careful with that. But Bible teaching never serves a man's personal agenda. Here at Berean, we do not teach and preach on social issues, tossing in a scripture now and then to make it sound spiritual. Pastor Smith has been our pastor for going on 14 years, right? Yeah, going on 14 years. I've never, I've never heard him stand behind that pulpit and take on a social issue, a political issue, or, or anything else. Because teaching and preaching is not for that purpose. I'm not here today to teach you something that, that, that fits my own agenda. And, and if we use the pulpit as, a, as, as an opportunity to push our own agenda upon people, shame on us. And that's not what teaching is. We do not do that. It would be a grave discredit to the office of the pastor or teacher for one to use the pulpit as a platform to promote his or her own personal preferences. Our Sunday school teachers on the other side, the ladies that teach our Sunday school, it's not a personal agenda with them. They're teaching the word of God. Uh, the men that stand in our pulpit and in this one and teach, it's, it's not teaching, we're not promoting our own personal agendas. We're, we're teaching and preaching the word of God. Woe be unto me or any other Bible teacher that will twist scripture out of context to make them say what we want them to say. Cults are formed that way. The Jehovah Witnesses, the, the Mormon Church, the Roman Catholic Church. They're all, they're all that very, that's the very thing they do. They take a scripture and twist it out of context. Use it improperly to teach what they want you to, to, to believe. And shame on them. We, we teach and preach exactly what the word of God states. And in the proper context. This is, this is exactly what false teachers do when they prepare a sermon. They pull one scripture out of the Bible and out of its context. And they use it to promote their own opinions. Our teaching and our preaching must center, must center on and expound upon the infallible and unchanging word of God and its principles. Not our own personal opinions or agendas. So if, if, and by the way, parents, when you're teaching your children, that's, that same requirement applies to you. You're not to have your own personal agenda in teaching your children the Bible. You're not to, you're not to um, uh, try to force your opinion on them. You need to teach them God's opinion. You need to teach them God's agenda. And if your opinion and your agenda doesn't agree with God's, then get it right. Then teach your children the right thing. You know, there's nothing wrong with telling your children you made a mistake. There's nothing wrong with doing that. I've raised, I've raised three children. And over the years, when I made a mistake, when I, when I had a wrong opinion or when something wasn't right, I went to them and I said, listen, I was wrong. And this is not the right way to do things. And I showed them from God's word why it's not right and why it's, it's wrong. 
So we need to do that. We, our teaching needs to be um, centered on, on Christ and, and shouldn't be toward personal agendas. It needs to be a, a truthful study of thus saith the Lord. And we must, we must focus on that. So step number one, uh, we, we must be taught the word of God. Now, step number two is this. We must follow godly examples. We must follow godly examples. Listen, this is, why, this is why it's important when you choose a school for your children, a secular school, that you know who's going to teach them. Because the truth of the matter is, their teacher is probably going to spend more time than you will with them. They'll, you come home from work, you have, what, a couple of hours with your kids, and then you're off, they're off to bed, you're off to bed, you're up the next morning, you're going to work, usually before they get up. They go back to school, they're with their teacher for, six to eight, for seven to eight hours, and they're, and they're playmates. They come home, you get them for a couple more hours. So, in a real sense, in an in, in impactful time of teaching, they're around the teacher more than they're around you. And you better be careful because... They're going to begin to develop. You know, this is why today in our society we have children that don't even know their parents. And parents and children are strangers to one another. And children murder their parents in the middle of the night because they have no respect or love for them. And this is because we are such busy people. We, we fail to take the time to, to interact with our children in a meaningful sense. And they're being taught by people we would not probably want our children to be taught by. And this is why it's, it's very dangerous. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. A major part of education is observing someone who has knowledge. Here, Paul exhorts the Christians at Philippi to identify those who walk according to righteousness. And this is good advice. Solomon in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20 writes, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I said it before, one, one day I was walking from my classroom over there in that corner to the school office used to be behind this wall. And I, I was walking, it was lunchtime, and, and my, my students were at the table. And I walked out that door, and I was walking this way, and Andrew, Andrew Burton, came running up alongside of me and started walking with me. And when we got about over here, I stopped and said, what are you doing? He said, well, Proverbs says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, Mr. Abshire. He says, I want to be a wise guy. I said, you are a wise guy. Now get over there and sit down and finish your lunch. But that's very, that's very true. You know, if, if we spend our lives associating with men and women in the Bible, uh, uh, women who, who demonstrate by their very life a discipline in, in, in spiritual things, we're going to benefit from that. Because we are going to be like the people we associate with. Whether we want to believe that or not, it's true. And that's why Solomon said a companion of fools will be destroyed. And we have to be careful. If you want to learn how to tune up a car, 
you wouldn't go observe a short order cook, would you? If you want to learn how to fix a watch, delicate little watch, you wouldn't, you wouldn't observe how a blacksmith works. If you want to learn how to be a friend of Christ, you should not observe a friend of the world. So we have to be careful. James writes in James chapter 4 and verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. This is why Paul told us to mark or to identify those that follow good doctrine and live by their example. Now I'm not saying that we exalt men to a stature greater than God. I grow weary of these people who will stand there for 10 minutes and applaud a man before he preaches. And I feel even I feel even more disgust for the man that will stand there and take that. That will stand there and, and, and try to look humble while everybody's clapping for him. What do you think Paul would do if someone did that? Well, I'll tell you what what Paul would do. He'd stand up and scream from the top of his lungs. Stop. Give your praise and glory to God, not to me. I've heard it. I've gone to conferences where people say, well, they can applaud for Michael Jackson for 30 minutes, so we can do the same for this brother. How dare you steal God's glory? How dare you offer God's glory to someone else? Love and respect. Oh, I've gone on to preaching. I'm sorry. Respect a man of God who walks worthy who demonstrates righteousness, respect him. Don't worship him. And by the way, he's a man. And he's fallible. So when he preaches, don't leave your Bible home. Open it up and make sure he's preaching truth. Well, I say to that, let the world praise men. I'm going to praise God. I don't know if I put this on your study sheets or not. I have a statement. Do not praise the man of God. Praise the God of man. Did I put that on there? Okay. Well, you ought to write it down. Do not praise the man of God. Because if the man of God learns anything, he learns it from God. So praise the God of man. Yet, though we do not offer men the praise and honor due to God alone, we are admonished by Paul to follow their examples. So we must be taught the word of God. Step two, we must follow godly examples. But then step three, we must assimilate what we have seen and heard. We must assimilate what we have seen and heard. There's an old saying, it goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force him to drink. So in other words, we can be taught all the right things. We can observe those who are good disciples of Christ. But all of this will not help us unless we take in what we have seen and heard. Go back to that horse for a moment. Will Will standing by the water quench his thirst? Can lead a horse to water. Him just standing right there by the water. Is that going to quench his thirst? Standing by the water? No. Will standing by the water keep him from dehydration and death? Standing by it? No. And far too many Christians today are trying to live off the spirituality of those around them. They mistakenly think that just being in church will keep them safe. 
After all, Solomon did say that walking with wise men would make me wise. But we have to understand what Solomon was saying. It is not the wisdom of the man that makes me wise. It is the truth that I will glean from his wisdom and will make a part of my own life that will make me wise. I can, I can lead the horse to water, but the horse has to choose to drink the water. Otherwise, it does him no good. So, a man, a man of God who's, who, who lives a righteous life can stand in a pulpit and he can teach you all that, that he can teach you. It's not going to do you any good unless you drink it in. It's not going to do you any good unless you make it a part of your life. Unless you implement what you learn and change your life to conform to the principles of the word of God. It's not going to do you any good. Yes, the horse will die, even though life-giving water is right before him. He will die unless he drinks the water. And we too will die spiritually, even though the words of life are right before us. We will die unless we drink from this fountain of life and unless we ingest the truth of God's word. Feed upon the word of God. We must do what we have been taught. In James chapter 1, James writes this, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness, and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. James said, be doers of the word. Not just hearers, because hearing alone will not help you. It's the doing that benefits the believer. Now here's where most Christians fall away. They don't mind being taught. In fact, they even kind of like Sunday school class. They don't mind observing others living for God. They even like being friends with the pastor and, and the deacons and having them over to the house for dinner and, and, and those kind of things. And perhaps they don't even mind assimilating some of the things they have learned and making them a part of their life but they stop short of doing. And that's where we fail, when we don't do. So we see that all of this instruction, observation, assimilation, and performance all work together to, to educate the believer in his Christian life. And it all comes from our doctrine. So the doctrine that we, that we subject ourselves to, the doctrine that we accept, must be biblical doctrine. So we must examine it. We must prove it against the word of God. The only true measuring stick for the believer. All right, folks, that's all I have time for. I hope it benefited you. So have a good day and stick around for 10 minutes and we'll start the second hour. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.